This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah, hamdun kathiran wa tayyiban mubarakin fi. Salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala nabiyyina al-ameen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. We come to Hadith 19 and 20 today because they are, for the most part, dealing with the same thing or kind of like the same topic, which is the importance of time. And the first Hadith is the authentic Hadith in which Az-Zubair, Az-Zubair ibn Adi who said that the people came to complain to the companion Anas ibn Umarik about what was going on and what they were suffering from in regards to the oppression of one of the great tyrants of Al-Islam who lived during the time of some of the companions. So they came to complain to Anas ibn Umarik for advice about what was happening with Al-Hujjaj, Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf Al-Thaqafi, a personality in Al-Islam that Islam didn't see the likes of him after he left the scene. Lahu min Allah ma yastahiq. So he killed a number of the companions. He threatened other companions. He was a problem. His sword was unsheathed on the community. He didn't care if you were a woman, he didn't care if you were old, he didn't care what your position was. If he didn't like what you were doing, Al-Hajjaj would chop your head off. So they went to the companion Anas to complain. Anas told them a tremendous hadith and he says, Sallallahu Anhu, that the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Innahu مَا يَأْتِي عَلَيْكُمْ زَمَانٌ إِلَّا وَالَّذِي بَعْضُهُ شَرُّ مِنْهُ حَتَّى تَلْقَوْ رَبُّكُمْ سَمِعْتُهُ مِنْ نَبِيِّكُمْ He said, إِسْبِرُوا فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَأْتِي عَلَيْكُمْ زَمَانٌ You people need to be patient with what you're dealing with from Al-Hajjaj and the fitna. Whatever fitna you're dealing with, like this Hajjaj, be patient with it. Don't make khuruj. Don't fight against him. Don't revolt against him. Don't raise arms against him. Instead, be patient. Because there's never a time except that the time that comes after it is worse than the time that preceded it. He said, I heard that from your Nebi. The reason why he said I heard that from your Nebi is so that the people would appreciate this is not my kanan. I'm not telling you to be patient and not to make al-khuruj or a revolt against him. Rasulullah told you, don't do that. So pay attention to what I'm telling you. Just be patient with what's going on. This hadith of Rasulullah, these statements, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are statements that today, a lot of the shabab from the Muslims, they want to throw this hadith behind their backs because they think that they're superheroes and they think that they love al-Islam more than the companions and they think that they're braver than the companions, more intelligent than the companions. 
So you see the leaders of today who are oppressive and they are not like Hajjaj in many instances. They want to fight against the leaders and rebel against the leaders today. The advice of Anas ibn Malik back then is the advice for the Shabab today. Don't make a khuruj against the leaders of the Muslims. So this hadith, Ikhwani, goes to show that with the passing of time each year that passes by from one generation to the next generation, the life becomes more difficult for the people of Al-Islam, those people who are practicing especially. Al-Ghurba, you were looked at, if you're practicing Islam, you're looked at as being stranger and stranger and stranger. So during this time right now, if a person is really trying to practice Islam, a man or a woman, a youngster, then during this time, the people are going to look at you as something is wrong with you. During the time of Prophet Muhammad, some of the community, they, they looked at the companions as something is wrong with these people. But as time moved on, it became worse and worse. The ghurba of the people of Islam became a shed. So to have patience is easier. To have sabr is easier than making the khuruj. And the benefit of having sabr is better than making the khuruj. Because what happened is that when some of the people went against Al-Hajjaj, Al-Hajjaj killed a lot of the people, and from them were companions. He said to the daughter of Abu Bakr al-Saddiq, if you don't come, when I tell you to come to my majlis, I'll come there and I'll drag you by your hair in the street. I'll drag you, and you'll be kicking your legs. Nobody should say that to any woman here. No one should say that. But Hajjaj not only said it to a woman, but he said it to the daughter of Abu Bakr. You would think that the person would say, that's the daughter of Abu Bakr. Her sister is Rasulullah's wife. How can you even say something like, to, like that to her? He didn't care. So the hadith shows that every year, every zaman, the one that comes after it is worse than the one that preceded it. That's the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Want to make a few points that are very important about this hadith, and then move on to the next hadith. And that is concerning this hadith, it may be said that historically, if you look at the history of Islam, it wasn't always the case that every year that went and came after the previous year was worse than the one that went before. Sometimes we had in the history of Islam where this year was very bad. So according to the hadith, the next year should be worse. But, in fact, the next year was better. Like in the case of Al-Hajjaj. When Hajjaj was at his height, after him, after him came the great scholar of Islam, the Khalifa, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, his era and his lifetime was better than the time of Al-Hajjaj. The fitna was less, knowledge was more, security for the Muslims was better, life was better. So can we say that the hadith of the Prophet wasn't correct? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Can't say that. From the hadith, we know that the Dajjal, when he comes, he's the biggest fitna for Bani Adam. So when he comes, he's going to fill the whole world up in fitna and drama. 
So you would think that the year that come after him should be worse than that. But I, when the Dajjal came, Isa ibn Maryam came after the Dajjal. The Mahdi came after the Dajjal. And when the Mahdi comes, when Isa ibn Maryam comes, the Mahdi is going to fill the world up with justice the same way it was filled up with oppression. So if the Mahdi came today, for an example, all of the oppression in the world today, with what's happening in Africa, with what's happening in the Muslim world, all of the vulm that people are putting on other people, these countries, the Mahdi is going to rectify all of this. So during the time of Dajjal, there was a lot of fitna. So according to this hadith, the time that comes after him should be worse than him. But that wasn't the case. The time of Isa ibn Maryam is going to be opulence. The people are going to be able to eat fruit and then from the magnificent size of the rind of the fruit, they make houses out of what they ate the fruit from. The rain is going to come. Crops is going to be money. People are going to have safety and security. Al-Islam is going to spread. The Firqat al-Najiyah is going to be on the scene at that time. So how do we understand that? We say anytime you hear an ayat of the Qur'an or an authentic hadith of the Prophet wasallam, and it goes against and it conflicts with the waqa, which you see, then you have to know, you have to know that you can never take the ayat of the Qur'an or the hadith and say something's wrong with the ayat or the hadith. You have to say something's wrong with the way you're understanding it. Because what the Prophet said is the truth, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And there's always a plausible explanation. So how is it that the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was better than the time of Al-Hajjaj? And it came after the time of Hajjaj. The hadith and the words of the Prophet ﷺ is talking about what is the majority of the case. Sometimes you're going to have exceptions. But generally speaking, the time that comes after more times than not is worse than the time that went before. But some cases here and there, individual cases that are few, you can't come and say, this hadith is wrong. The words of the Prophet is the truth. We look at the great scholar, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. He said that from his observation, from what it's supposed to be. He said that the people of the Sunnah are the most knowledgeable people about Allah. And the people of the Sunnah are the most merciful people to creation. Was he lying when he said that? Because right now we see some people of the Sunnah are not merciful to the people of creation. They're some of the roughest, toughest people towards the people of the creation. Even towards the people of knowledge. If a person dies and they don't agree with that person, they say he's a deviant. Was Ibn Taymiyyah making a mistake? No, his words are generally speaking that's how it is. Or that's how it's supposed to be. So that's the first thing about this hadith. The second thing about the hadith, it goes to show the importance of returning the affairs to the scholars of Al-Islam. The people went to Anas ibn Malik. When there's a fitna about COVID, when there's a fitna about drama between the Muslims, when there's fitna fighting this, that, don't go to any Amr, Bakr, and Zaid of the people. Don't go to the regular people to ask them about vaccines and fitna. Don't go to them. You have to go to people who know what they're talking about. So refer the affairs to those people who have knowledge. That's what the Salaf were upon. Today we have a situation where 
youngsters will sit together and they will make takfir of people, tabdi of people. They will decide amongst themselves who's brave, who's worthy, who's not worthy, what the next move should be. And they're not qualified to do that. They're not competent to do that. But amongst themselves, they will swear that they're the people for the job. If you find yourself amongst people like that, you have to run away. There's a problem with that. There's a danger. And there's a price to pay if you get caught out like that. So the Hadith is talking about time. The importance of time. There is never a zaman. Except that the zaman that comes after it is worse than the one that preceded it. So for you brothers, this is the worst time to be a youngster. It's a difficult time. This is the worst time to be unmarried right now. This is the worst time to be in the university right now. In terms of fitna, in terms of the price, in terms of whatever. This COVID right now, have you seen a fitna in your life similar to COVID? It's probably the biggest fitna we've had to deal with since we've been alive. And we still don't know which way the COVID situation is going. Is it going to be another lockdown? How many people do we know have died from this COVID? People are dropping left, right, and center. Who we know? And then while this serious situation is taking place, we have those people giving opinions. And they don't deserve, and they don't have the right to give opinion. It's a fitna. In the past, in the beginning of Islam, the Prophet would ask a question, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he would say to the people, tell me about this thing or that thing. Quizzing them. Everybody would be quiet. Everybody would be quiet. Right now, if you said to someone, uh, Bitcoin, what is the root of the Bitcoin? I know it's haram. Do you know what Bitcoin is? Nah, I don't know what it is. It sounds like it's haram. That's what we're doing, dealing with today. People giving fatwas, and they're not those people. Before the people went and talked, the companions. And a lot of times they would know the answer, but they left it for someone else. That's the level of not wanting that responsibility of being wrong or being in a position of leadership. Right now, the way life is, everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be acknowledged and recognized. So the time that we live in right now is a time of fitna. A sabr during this time as it relates to the imams. It is a khaf. It's easier, although it may be difficult, relatively sleeping, it's easier than making khuruj. Because if you revolt against those rulers, it's going to be a big problem. And some of the righteous people of this ummah, they suffered the result of that at the hands of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, Al-Thaqafi. So the issue is about time and knowing what time you live in and the reality of the time. Which brings us to the next tremendous hadith. Abdullah ibn Abbas, may Allah Ta'ala be pleased with him. He said that the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the authentic hadith. But let me make, give this example. Let me give this example about the issue of one time is worse than the one that comes after it and worse and worse and worse, generally speaking. There's a hadith that the Nabi told us, Inna awwala fitnati bani Israel kanat fin nisa. The first fitna that was a problem for Bani Israel. Allah guided them and they came out of Egypt and Allah gave them NBN prophets and they got close to Allah and their civilization grew. 
And they had protection and they were close to Allah. And Allah was blessing them with all kinds of things. And then the fitna came. He said the first fitna of Bani Israel was the fitna that they had with their women. Their women started doing a lot of things. So as time went on, it got worse and worse and worse. In our religion, we're going to follow Bani Israel in everything that they did. There was a time when in Al-Islam, you wouldn't find a Muslim woman smoking cigarettes. Now, if she smokes cigarettes, she smokes cigarettes where no one could see her. She's a real smoker. She would smoke cigarettes where no one can see her. Time went on and it got worse and worse and worse. And then those women in parts of the Muslim world where we come from in the Arab world other than that, the woman came outside and she started smoking. But it was the one who didn't have, she didn't have hijab. She didn't have hijab. You didn't see a Muslim woman wearing a short dress. You could see her legs, not wearing hijab. During the time of the Prophet, those Muslim women dressed and they covered themselves. As time went on, that hijab began to disappear and shrink and change. Now I'm sure of smoking. So the one who would smoke outside was the one who didn't have any deen. And then it got worse and worse and it became acceptable. So now if you see her in the restaurant in public, smoking shisha, smoking cigarettes, or smoking a pipe or a cigar, no one's going to say anything. Because that's her business. Time kept going on until now. Now you'll see the Muslim woman with the hijab smoking cigarettes. Because it happened where the one who wears hijab, she was smoke inside. And the one without hijab was smoke outside. Now the one who has hijab, who was hiding, now she's outside and she's smoking. That's what this hadith is talking about. You didn't see people a long time ago not praying. Well known in the community, amongst relatives and people, friends, neighbors. Fulan doesn't pray. You didn't find that before. There could have been people who were not praying, but it was concealed and hidden. Now it's common and it's normal and acceptable that we have relatives and friends who don't pray. From our family, it's acceptable because of the time that we're living in. So if you're giving down with Allah, you have to understand that. You can't hold everybody to the same standard of that time. You have to know your time. But that's the meaning of the hadith. It gets worse and worse and worse, for the most part. Sometimes there's some exceptions. The hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, Rasulullah says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, take advantage of five things before five things. Take advantage of your life before you die. Take advantage of the time you're living. You are alive. Everybody right now, you are alive. Take advantage of your life while you're living. Take advantage after that of your good health before you become sick. Take advantage of your free time. You're not as busy right now. Take advantage of it before you get busy. So when COVID had happened and we were on lockdown and we were at home and we had time on our hands, some people just wasted time by being on a PlayStation for six, seven, eight hours a day. Person is into soccer. He's into American football and basketball. So he watches the game and the game takes four hours of wasted time. In that four hour period, 
He could have been studying his religion. He could have been studying for his exam. He could have been studying or doing something productive. But he's just wasting time. When he had time on his hand. He said, take time and advantage of your youth before you become old. And take advantage of your life before you die. Take advantage of your life before you die. That hadith is similar to the first hadith as it relates to the whole issue of the whole issue of an individual knowing the value of time, knowing the value, how important time is. Some people have no concept of time. Some people really have a good concept of time and they take care of it. But most people, for the most part, we're not taking care of the time the way it needs to be taken care of because the day will come when a person will be regretful for wasting time. And that day, regret is not going to benefit him. It's like the child who gets in trouble and then the child comes and he says to his mother, I am sorry. It's too late to be sorry. You should have been sorry before that when you had a chance to make it right. So five things. Take advantage of five things before it's five. Take advantage of your life before you die. Take advantage of good health before you become sick. Take advantage of having free time before you become busy. Take advantage of your youth before you get old. And take advantage of having money. Take advantage of having some wealth before you don't have any wealth. The Syrian refugees, when they were living in Syria... And they had jobs, and they had homes, and they were having a salary and income at one time. It was that time that you start spending because the time may come where you don't have that money. Something is going to happen. The days, they go up and down. One year you have money, the next day you don't have money the next year. One year you have good health, next year you don't have good health. One year you're alive, the next year you're dead. That's the reality, that's the nature of life. So they came and they asked the Prophet, a man, Ya Rasulullah, give me a mu'idha, give me some advice. So the Prophet gave him a mu'idha, a mu'idha like the imam. He's going to give an exhortation, a warning to the people. So he told him these words from his juwami' al-kalim. His juwami' al-kalim, wisdom. Rasulullah is rahim. So he told that man and he told everybody else, Take advantage of five things before five things happen to you. And he mentioned these five things. Now, each one of these five things, Ikhwani, is a khutbah in and of itself. We don't have time for that in this dars. We're putting both of these hadith together to make it so that we'll have a third of the book to explain, inshallah. Just ten more hadith or something like that. So we're on hadith number 30 now. We'll finish hadith 30 today with these two hadith. But the point is, these five things, they have a lot that can be said. As it relates to take advantage of your life before your death, this book that we're dealing with right now, the author of the book is dead. He died during this COVID. No one thought he was going to die. No one expected him to die. But he's dead right now. The Sheikh Ali Hassan al-Halabi. And how many people we know? People from amongst us, we know people who are dead. We didn't expect them to die. They're gone now. 
And they can't say, I wish, I want to do more, but they have to leave things behind in a way of the prayers that they did, in the way of the sadaqah that they did, in the way of the dawah that they did, in the way of the good deeds and the ibadat. So concerning this issue of taking advantage of death or your life before your death, a few things we want to mention here as a way of advice to you brothers. The best of Allah's creation as it relates to the human beings is Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Rasulullah, he died. As everybody knows, there are some people from our ummah who reject that. We don't know what kind of Islam that is, but we know that Rasulullah has died. And Allah loves him more than he loves any other human being, and that's Allah's sunnah in every single human being, from Adam until the last human being that's going to live. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا لِبَشَرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ الْخُلْدِ Ya Muhammad, we never created any human being before you and that human being lived forever. You're going to die. Do they think that they're going to live forever? Allah told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Ya Muhammad, you're going to die. But the verb or the noun that's used is you're dead now. The mayit is the one who's dead right now. You are hay, living. The one who is dead is mayit. That's what that means. That's a noun. You're dead. Allah used that verb, that, that, that noun, to tell him he's going to die. But the noun actually means you're dead. So in reality, I'm a dead man talking. Death is coming to me. When, where, how? I don't know. Wallahi. This may be the last drink of water that I intend to drink. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's the last time you came down the stairs in your house. You're not going back up those stairs again and you're not opening up that door again. You are a dead man sitting there. And that's a dead man eating his food. And that's a dead man going into Morrison's right now. In the kamayit, in the you're going to die, or you're dead, and all of them are going to die. Then you're all going to return to Allah. So Rasulullah, the most beloved of Allah's creation, died, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Everybody's going to die. It is the ultimate reality. Take advantage of your life before you die. Allah asked the question about Rasulullah, if Muhammad were to die, when he dies, if he dies, are you people going to really lose your religion and, and, and turn back? So the point here is, everybody is going to die. But the strange thing is that the majority of the people don't act as if they believe that. Because we are persistent in doing things that if you know you're going to die, don't do that thing. So what happens during this COVID? People die from far away. We don't know. They're dying every day. And we keep doing what we're doing. But when someone dies close to you, that's when you say, man, death is close. I can't believe that man died. If he died, that's a delil about my mortality. That's a sign to us. But you don't have to wait to the person who's next to you, the one who you know died. 
So anybody, you lost your mother, you lost your father, you lost someone close to you, a neighbor, relative, you are affected by that. But when other people die, just die. They, they die. And I know theoretically that they are dying, but it should be knowledge that is empirical, based upon experience, based upon tejuriba, based, based upon facts. We are all going to die. So in regards to the issue of death, nobody lives. So why would Allah mention all of those ayahs of the Qur'an? To bring the point home to the mind of the one who's intelligent. He said in the Qur'an, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا وَجْهُهُ Everything will be destroyed. Everything is going to die. Everything. Except Allah. The face of Allah. He said in the Qur'an, كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانِ وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ Everybody on this earth, everything, every animal, everything is going to perish. And the only thing that's going to remain is the face of Allah Every human being will die. Again, Ikhwani, the question is, if the person knows he's going to die, why not make tawbah? Why not try to be a better person? Why not avoid arrogance, ignorance? Why not avoid oppression? But the people are in ghafla. And I don't see here talking down to anybody here. That is the condition of most of us. Until death comes to you. And that's another problem. That when the death comes to you, most people are not going to be ready for it. Everybody's going to die. No doubt. And you don't know what's going to happen. So you would think that Benny Adam... He's going to make preparations. Man, I can die at any moment. I'm not getting caught out doing this. I get caught out by Allah and I'm doing this. And I got to face the music. He's going to change his life. But ghafla. Because we believe we're going to keep living. So the Prophet told the people, don't spin your day as if you're going to see tomorrow. Allah wakes you up in the morning time. Don't act as if you're going to see Friday. Obviously, when you make plans, you say inshallah because you don't really know. But in terms of living your life, living, really living your life, the person lives his life, I'm going to die. And it's inevitable. And I don't know when it's going to happen. So I have to be prepared. So he gave us those ayat. He mentioned subhanahu wa ta'ala wa tabi'u ma unzila ilaykum min rabbikum min qabli and yet Follow what Allah revealed to you. Follow the Quran, follow the Sunnah, do halal, say for your haram, do the ibadat. Follow what Allah told you to do. Before death comes to you and you're not ready. And most people are not going to be ready. This one, death came to him. And he was in the middle of doing something. Death came to him. He was building his house. Death came to him. He was praying, preparing to get married. Death came to that one. He was going to do the exam. Death came to that one. He was going to do something. But it came when he was unawares. And it came. Everybody's going to die. Death is going to come to most people. And they're not ready. Another issue about death is Akhi, nobody knows where he's going to die. But ma tadri nafsun bi ayi ardin tumut. 
No nuffs knows where he's going to die. That one died in his mother's house. That one died in the auditorium at the school. That one died on Coventry Road. Woke up in the morning and he died on Coventry Road. That one over there died because he was eating at McDonald's or somewhere and he choked and he died. That one died because his cousin stabbed him and killed him. That one died because he fell off the rail and fell over. He went to city center and was coming down the escalator and slipped and fell down the escalator and he died. Everybody doesn't know when it's going to happen. So the Prophet of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, conducted himself and he existed and he lived in a way that showed. He understood that. So you didn't find him playing cards, wasting time. You found him doing things to relax and to have recreation. You found him smiling at the proper time in a proper way. But you never found him watching a football game for four hours. Four hours. Because those four hours is part of his life. They're not coming back. Don't get it wrong. And I'm not saying people can't be happy and people can't celebrate. Rasulullah showed us the Eid. Rasulullah played with his children. Rasulullah had wives. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had children. He had children. He enjoyed nice things in life. He enjoyed cool water. Someone, he likes watermelon. Nothing wrong with eating a watermelon. Nothing's wrong with dressing nice. Nothing's wrong with that. But the issue is, while you do that, you understand, I enjoy these things, but... This is not the goal, this is not the objective. The goal and the objective is, I'm going to die. So therefore I have to pick people who have like-minded, like, like that. Because if you're around people who help you to forget that, we're in trouble. And that's what our reality is. Because of the time that we're living in. The time that we're living in. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, doing his time, the companions, radiallahu anhum, when they saw things taking place, they said something about it. Or they left. They saw something, it wasn't right, they changed it, or they left. The good person right now is the person who, the good practicing person, is the one, he sees something and he sits there, he just doesn't say anything. Keeps his head down and he keeps his mouth shut. That's the time we're living in. So the remembrance here, Ikhwani, and the reminder here is we are hearing about and we are seeing people are dying. Right now in the UK with this COVID, I think more people died this month in the UK than any previous month. And it's supposed to get worse. Allah knows best. We haven't been afflicted with COVID, but nobody said you're not going to get COVID. May Allah protect all of us. Nobody said that people sitting here are not going to die from COVID. And that's another thing. COVID is real. And COVID is just one of the many real things that can kill you. It's not just COVID. So here's something we have to be aware of and we have to wear a mask. And if we see someone who has the symptoms, we avoid it. But there are many things like that for the young person. Hanging around with people who are involved in drugs and violence and crimes, that's like a virus. Kill you. You will lose your life. 
So why put a mask on about COVID and be worried about COVID and shaking hands like that and doing, you know, separation of people. But when it comes to hanging out with criminals and gangsters, that doesn't phase you at all. You're more apt to get killed with those people than you are to get COVID. Take advantage of five things before five things. The Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, warned constantly, told the people, remind yourselves and remember about the reality of death. From the ni'mah of Allah, is when you don't die, and someone around you who you know just suddenly checks out, and you say, wow, that's a ni'mah, because it's a dhikr for you. And look at this issue of the death. You know you can be a person in this dunya, all of us, we want to be respected. No one wants someone to come and say, get up. He comes behind you and put his knee in your back and push you and say, get up, I want to sit here. That's disrespect. So we want to be respected and we respect people. People say, a sheikh al-albani, a sheikh al-albani. They respect them. The sheikh said, the sheikh is coming. Let the sheikh sit down. That's the opinion of the sheikh. Respect. But once the sheikh dies, his name is no longer mentioned because of death. He dies and they don't call him sheikh anymore. You know what they call him? They call him janazah. Bring the janazah here. Bring the janazah here. You going to the janazah? They don't say you going to the sheikh. Are you going to Muhammad? He's dead. They don't say to you going to Muhammad. They say you going to the janazah. Did you pray the janazah? His name is not mentioned anymore. Except a little bit. And today when he dies, you're affected. But after a week or two or three or four and a month and a year, we don't remember that anymore. He's not remembered like that anymore. But when he was on the scene, he was respected. But that's the reality of death. And then when you die and the people bring you and they bury you, your family... Everybody leaves you. And they take your money with you. They marry your wife after you. Your wife gets married after you. And the man, and the man himself, when his wife dies, he gets married immediately after that. The ladies are going to wait four months, ten days, and maybe a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. Because he's dead. And all through in his life, he was just wasting time. For that inevitable situation. So take advantage of your life, Ya Abdullah, while you're living. Does that mean you can't make mistakes? No, you're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. But I made a mistake, so I have to make toba. He's smoking cigarettes, this is an example. Those cigarettes are going to kill you. They are going to kill you. And you're going to, I can't even say speed up your death. Because everybody's going to die when and where and how he was meant to die. But, you know, the prophet said the age of my ummah is between 60 and 70. I mean, you can go, you can get up there, inshallah. But he's smoking. And by smoking, he increases his chances of cancer, lung disease, all kinds of issues. Because he thinks he's going to live forever. Everybody here, if we were intelligent, I mean really intelligent, because we have intelligent people who do really good in school, 
But that's not the mark of someone who's intelligent. He's intelligent, but he worships a cow. He's intelligent, and he says, Allah doesn't exist. He's intelligent, and he's doing evil and bad, not knowing he can count. He's a mathematician. He's a genius in math. But he doesn't realize everything you do, the math is going to come back. It's going to get you. There's a muhasaba. There's a reckoning for you. You're going to be reckoned with. He is not even cognizant of that. So as I sit and I sit in the audience and I see the audience and you see me, all of us, everybody here is involved in something, with something that we shouldn't be involved in and we shouldn't be involved with. And if we knew death was coming, we would say, hey, 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 I have to wake up. And wallahi, shaitan will come after you becoming motivated and say, hey, that's right. Alhamdulillah, I heard that. I mean, I know it, but now I've been reminded. I got to get myself together. You get pumped up, shaitan will come to you before you leave this masjid. And make you lose that feeling of, I got to do better. I got to be better. I don't know if you brothers know this young brother who went to Medina. I don't know if he graduated or not, but he was very active on the internet. And he was sharing his life and his struggles with the community, so I'll mention his name. His name is Ibra Ismail Beaumont. You brothers know that man? Ismail Beaumont. Did you see the last video of that man? Where he's walking in the hospital and how much weight he lost? And then he wrote on the thing, sharing his life with the people. He said, I spend all day managing the pain. And I, I just try to get through the day. He said, and then when the nighttime comes, I spend the rest of the night managing the pain. Take advantage of good health before you have bad health. I saw with my own eyes, these two weak eyes. Now I got four. Last time I saw... Ismail Beaumont in real life was at the Kaaba. I was at Safan Marwa. I finished my Umrah, my Hajj, whatever I was doing, and I was walking at the top going across to go to our hotel. I was walking at the top, you know, going across the shortcut, and they were making a side between Safan and Marwa. I looked down, I saw Ibrahim, Ismail walking, his father was in a wheelchair. And Ibrahim Ismail was pushing his father, and he was sick at that time. That's what I saw. I saw him, he saw me. I said, Salaamu Alaikum, Wa Alaikum Salaam. He went, I looked at him. I never saw him again in real life. I spoke to him, I never saw him in real life. Now, Ismail Beaumont, give him an opportunity to walk around the Kaaba once. It's going to be an arduous task. So you go into the internet right now, when you get a chance, if you don't know this brother, and just put Ismail Beaumont in there. You think Ismail Beaumont can come to this class and sit here? And you sit in here, and I'm sitting here. Do you think he wasn't sitting there one day? That it's not going to happen to you? May Allah forbid. So brothers, Ikhwani, Take advantage of your youth before you get old. I look into this audience and you guys are Shabbat. I'm going to tell you something. You see me, right? You see my beard. I was like you one day. 
I was 18 years old, 19 years old. And I used to walk around like, hey, I'm invincible. You want to fight me? You want to deal with me? But now at this age, man, I don't want to fight anybody. I don't want to fight anybody. I tell you no lie. I tell you no lie. I'm walking and I saw a dog and the dog was coming. And he looked crazy to me. I started running to jump on the car. In my, when I was 18, I could run and probably jump over the car. I went to jump up. I didn't get high enough. I, I fell on the floor. I fell on the floor. The dog came and alhamdulillah wasn't a crazy dog. But now at my age, I can't move like that anymore. I was your age before. Do you think that time is going to skip over you and you're just going to always be young? No, you look at the people in this masjid, these older brothers in this masjid. We can't do what we used to do at the age of 18. And I'm looking at you guys. This guy can play soccer right here. Mashallah. He can play, run around all day long. That one played basketball. Every time this team win, the challenging team comes on, he can be out there for three hours. His team keeps winning. I get on the basketball court because I'm not exercising. I ain't running up and down that court. Why? Because I'm not young anymore like that. And I'm not like the guy who's 70. And I'm not like the guy who's 80. And I remember being 17, 18, 19, 20, 25, looking at an old, old man and woman all wrinkled up. And you say, subhanAllah, you say, wow, look at these old. I'm getting like that. Do you think you're going to skip that? That's the sunnah of Allah and everybody. So the point here, ikhwani, for all of us, brothers, sisters, take advantage of the opportunities that you have. Take advantage of the fact that you are alive. Why is it that if we knew, as the Prophet says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, anyone who says, subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al 100 times. Anybody who says, subhanallah, 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 33 times. Anyone who does this, he gets this reward and that reward and this reward, and he won't do it. He won't do it. We won't do it. We pray Salat al-Isha. The question, how many people said subhanAllah 33 times and the rewards of that? And he got those rewards. Reading the Quran, one page of the Quran, every harf, ten hasana. How many people picked up the Quran outside of Salat and read the Quran with the niyyah of getting hasanat? And each day is like that, passing you by, passing you by, opportunities. Then what happens is, Yomu Qiyama, the person is regretful, but it's too late to be regretful at that time. Like the little baby, little baby, when you catch him, he say, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're sorry because you got caught. The police catch him. He's really remorseful. He stands before the judge and say, look. I'm really regret what I did when I killed their family. And he's serious. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have been acting like that. And he wants leniency from the judge. And he is sincere. He's not just playing. He's sincere. I I messed my life up. And I took their relative away. And I gave them pain. I really didn't mean to do it. I was high. I was hanging out with the people. I swear to God. Wallahi, I'm sorry. And he means that. Hey, had, hey, had can't be sorry now, man. You're in trouble now. Your sorrow doesn't help now in that court. 
You got to go to jail 20 years in that jail to pay your debt to society. So now that true sincere sorrow is too late. But even that sorrow is better than the sorrow of Yomu Kiyama. The sorrow of Yomu Kiyama. So take advantage of your youth, Shabbat, before you guys get old. And you can't do what you can do right now. And it's going to happen to some of you, and some of you it's not going to happen. Because like I said, I was in a sham, and in a sham, we got messages. People are getting killed in the streets of Birmingham from Shabab, who people say are nice people. And well, like none of us came to this message thinking and believing someone's going to stab us. Bump into someone, he gets mad and he stabs you. No one thought that someone is drunk driving a car while you crossing the street and he runs you over. And the way we cross the street is we're negligent. We walk in the street and not paying attention. No, man, you better look at those cars and walk across the street with the understanding I want to live. I'm not going to put my life on the line like that. Walking in the street and cars coming behind me expecting that they're going to drive correctly. And then when he hits you, you're paralyzed. And now you can't pray. Now you're in the wheelchair. So out of all of the things that we own, and there are a lot of things that we own that are important to us. Your car is important. Your possessions, your phone is important. Your wife is important. Your children are important. From what are the most important things that we have is that time. That time. It is important. And again, I repeat, most of us are not taking, taking care of the time. Adi said, take advantage of having wealth before you don't have the ability to spend. So the wealth that you have, however little it is, time may come when, again, like I told you, Juani, you know, the rich people from Syria, when they were in Syria, they were rich. And there's something about people who are rich. They have a mentality. They have an existence wherever you go. Grinders, hustlers who are rich, many of them just have this mind. You put them anywhere, they're going to, get make, they're going to make money. Abdurrahman ibn Auf from the Tim Promise Jannah, he had money. And he left Mecca and he left all his money. He left his money. When the prophet paired them with the other companion, the other companion said, I have two wives, you take one, and you, I'll divorce her for you. I have this much money, I give you half. The man said, Abdurrahman Auf, you have money. He said, nah, may Allah bless you and your family. You keep your wife. May Allah bless you and your money. I don't need your money. He came with no money. He went to that marketplace and he started hustling. He became rich again. Because that's how rich, some people, that's how they think. I know how to make money. I may fail here and there, but I'm not going to be a bum like the regular people. I'm making money. So they were rich in Syria. In the camps of Lebanon, their tents are nicer. But they still need help. But their tents are nicer. They're not going into their tents. We're not going to help them. But they offer us to come to pray in their tents, to rest in their tents. I'm not saying that their tents are like your homes, but it's nicer than those tents you saw us in. But in Syria, that man had 10 restaurants, 
That man had 50 petrol stations. That man had big buildings in Syria. Now, he's in line. When Task Force GLM is there, he's in line wanting to get some help. Because he doesn't have money now. And that's the reality of the life. Allah mentioned in the Quran, Ya ayyuladzina amanu, لا تلئكم أموالكم ولا أولادكم من ذكر الله ومن يفعل ذلك فأولئك هم الخاسرون Oh you believe Don't let your children and don't let your monies cause you to be negligent about the dhikr of Allah الصلاة and the deen Don't let that like make you lose your, your deen Some of us are married you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. It's a fitna. We're married. We have issues. We have trouble. We're struggling. So many things. And then the ayat Allah Ta'ala went on to mention, وَأَنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ أَحَدُكُمْ الْمَوْتِ And spend what Allah has given you before death comes to one of you. And then he says, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, give me life again, I want to spend. Yeah, just give me life. The death came, I'm going to spend now. You didn't spend before, you got a problem. You got a problem. So I just want to remind you, Akhwani, concerning these two hadith of Rasulullah the emphasis today is the time. Manage your time. We are super mega time wasters and then those of us who are trying to be students of knowledge the the culture the culture of this time this bad time is that we waste time we waste time we waste time on the mobile phone and only if what we were reading was benefiting us information whether it's secular or the deen, but we're benefiting. But it's just wasted time. I grew up in America as an athlete, and I love American sports, NFL and NBA. I like the baseball as well, but only when the playoffs come. But when I went to Medina, I kind of fell out of that because for eight years I wasn't into it. But I can see myself, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is the most watched sporting event in the world. Billions of dollars they make in advertising in advertisements. If you want to, if you want to advertise something doing that game, you got to pay five million dollars for thirty seconds because you're going to make a lot of money. So we sit to watch that Super Bowl pumped up, pumped up. And it's going to take five, six hours out of your time that you should be praying, you should make dhikr, you could be memorizing the Quran, you could be doing silat al-wali day, you could be doing so many things. You know what I'm talking about. Wallahi, wallahi, wallahi. These brothers, when I lived in Liverpool, I came to know that Liverpool was a good soccer team. I came to know they were a good soccer team and they had these really diehard fans. So when I went and I started seeing that soccer, I was like, hey, okay, this is all right. I really wasn't into soccer. But 
it was the religion for some people. Like American sports is a religion for us. But all of that time to watch cats running around with shorts, kicking a ball in the net. Am I saying I can't understand and I can't identify with how that is as men? And No, I can identify with that. I know that feeling. But the Muslim is the one who, he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And my relationship with that guy, my relative, is not good. I'm going to die. And when I die, I don't have a chance to rectify the problem. So I want to end by saying, when I had went to Medina, when I was a new student, there was a white guy, he came. He was a Muslim. His name was Omar Bill. He's from New Mexico. I met him. I don't really remember how, but it was in Medina. We met. He had tattoos all over his body because he used to be with this motorcycle gang called the Hells Angels. They're criminals in America. Serious drug dealers, criminals. Antisocial behavior. Serious criminals. Hells Angels. He was with one of them. He became a Muslim and he left that. He was real good with mechanics. The guy knew everything about motors and engines. When he became a Muslim, he took his children, came to Saudi Arabia, on Umrah or something, what a hajj, I think it was Umrah, and he went and applied at a job to work on Saudi airline, the airplanes and a mechanic. He doesn't know anything about no airplanes. He just was good with mechanics. He got the job as a mechanic. And the way he is, like I just told you about rich people, some, the way he is, he's that type of guy, he's going to make something happen for himself. He wound up getting bumped up to the position of being a manager at Saudi Arabian Airlines as a numerous. Now, of course, he was a white brother, and that had something to do with it. Allah knows best. He had a powerful job, good money. And me and that brother became close. I don't know any white person on the face of this earth that I love more than that brother. That was my brother. He called me Friday, asked me a question. I didn't answer it. After two days, I sent him a message. Today, I got a message. My wife, I was talking to my wife, and I was going to the thing, and I saw two pictures. I didn't pay attention to it from my bill, and I was talking to my wife, but I can't see that well. After that, I looked and I looked close and I read Stephen Lowry, Omar Bill, passed away today in the Philippines. I couldn't believe it. That was my man. So if any of you can think about a best friend that you have, that you don't really see him a lot, but he's your best friend. And suddenly you got news and you saw his picture where he's laying in pale and dead dead I just spoke to that brother on Friday and there was Umar Bill I couldn't believe it I still can't believe it meaning death is death death is death but because I know Umar Bill and I was close to Umar Bill and I sent that because his wife sent it to me I caught the number it was his number a few months ago an older brother from Philadelphia, Rashid Salahuddin, died. Every time I go through my phone, his name is still in it. I haven't erased his name yet. When I called the number, I get from his number, and my bill is dead. 
I called it. She picked up the phone. Salaamu alaikum. Osama. This is Umm Isa. A lady from the Philippines. Married two Filipino women. What happened? She said he was visited by people. He went to pray. Salat al-Maghrib. Told his son go tell her. After Maghrib going to come. I come to the house. And he prayed Maghrib and fell down. A fell out. Started having this foaming in his mouth. Got him to the hospital. DOA. Dead on arrival. What makes any of us think you can't fall down and die before leaving this masjid? Who told you? Who promised you that? But the way you're sitting, Wallahi, we believe our family is waiting for us at home. I got it. And we believe. That's the plan. But who told you you don't get an aneurysm and you just die? You just die. Heart attack. You just die. Just like that. And it's as real as we're sitting here right now. So, Ikhwani, take five, advantage of five things before five, and let us stop being of those people who are lollygagging unnecessarily. And when we lollygag, we have to remind each other. We have to remind each other. So we're going to stop here, inshallah, azawajal. And we ask Allah Ta'ala have mercy upon our brother Umar Bill, to have mercy upon him, make things easy for his family, put him in the Jannah for those without any adab or hisab. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to give shifa and sabr to our brother Ismail, Boma, and the rest of those Muslim brothers who we know and those who we don't know who are struggling with these issues. And these people are signs and ayats for all of us. Make tawbah to Allah. Rectify your relationship with people. Get serious about the reality. Every step of the way, every step of the way, cognizant, a cognizant decision. I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do the right thing. But don't think for one minute, shaitan is going to take a break and go to Hawaii and leave you alone. He ain't going to do that. He's not going to do that. Right after this talk, right after this talk that you've been reminded, you are going to die. Today, you're a dead man sitting, and I'm a dead man talking right now. You're going to die today. Right after this, daras, shaitan is going to make you, try to make you and me forget about that reality. So if you guys have any questions, inshallah, put your questions forward, inshallah. Halindukum shay. Go ahead, my brother. Real quickly, Ikhwani, concerning Christmas, uh, we did a program last night um, for Islam-wise. We have a lot of reverts, Islam-wise, and those questions were presented to help and to support the revert Muslim brothers and sisters who are trying to navigate through these holidays, and these questions were put forward. But because you asked the question, I'm not going to say wait until that comes out. And I think it's going to come out tomorrow, inshallah. But to answer, it's not permissible for a Muslim to give non-Muslims any gifts that are connected to these holidays. Because if you were to do that, it would be you basically saying 
this thing about Christmas is true. And what it's meant to be is true. This thing about Easter is true. When you give them, you're making iqrar. You're saying, yeah, I agree with that. So Allah told us, don't cooperate on evil and disobeying Allah. We cooperate on righteousness and fearing Allah. We don't cooperate on that stuff. So if a person gets married and he's a non-Muslim, we'll give him a gift because he's married. It's not religious. It's not cultural. We give him a gift. A person gets a promotion. A person gets his degree. We give him a gift. He's a non-Muslim relative, someone we know. As for receiving gifts from the non-Muslims at the time of their holidays, it's permissible. It's permissible. They give you a gift because it's Christmas. They're in the giving spirit. And the guy comes and says, I feel like giving. I feel good. It's the only time of the year I feel good because I'm drunk and I'm hanging out. So I'm going to give you this gift. You don't have to not take that gift. In Al-Islam, the Prophet said, Tahadu tahabu. Exchange gifts and enforce the love between yourselves. Respect between yourselves. A non-Muslim give you a gift on his holiday and you throw it away. You say, I'm not taking that. What do you think is going to be his response? So as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned about this issue, the Prophet ﷺ took gifts from the kuffar. Non-Muslim, the leader of Egypt, the Muqawqas, he gave Rasulullah ﷺ gifts. He gave him Maria, the Coptic, who had his baby, and he also gave him a bagel, a cross between a horse and a donkey. Rasulullah took it. Another leader gave him a white mule. He took it. The Jewish lady, she gave Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam a roasted lamb, a roasted lamb. That's a gift. And Imam Bukhari brought that hadith in his book and put the chapter, the permissibility of taking gifts from mushrikeen, and that lamb was poison. So when the Prophet started eating the lamb, he was told it's poison, but it was a gift. He took it. He took it. So we can take gifts from them. But the issue is, what about when it is their holidays? The Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib was given gifts by the Mushrikeen because of the celebration of Nairoz, which is a Persian celebration of Kufr and Shirk. And they gave him a gift. He took it. There were some Muslim women who were wet nurses. They used to, they were wet nurses. They used to suckle the children of those kuffar. For a price, they would suckle and get money. So those women who were kuffar would give the Muslim women gifts of food because they would pay them and it's the celebration. So they would give them food. They went to Aisha and said, can we take that food? Aisha said, may Allah be pleased with her. If they give you meat, don't eat it. But if they give you vegetables, take it. Why you don't eat the meat? Because they eat meat, it's haram. They slaughter it for other than Allah. But from some of us are those people who eat the meat of al-kitab. Some of us eat the meat of al-kitab. If you believe that's permissible and they gave you meat, you eat it. Most of us don't eat that meat. We eat halal. But some of us eat that meat from McDonald's and from Morrison's. Some people do that. If they give you that meat and it's not pork, you can take it. Because the companions took that. And there's nothing in religion so you can't take that. The gift that you cannot take from the kuffar during their holidays is the gift that 
is haram in and of itself. They give you a Santa Claus. They give you a Christmas tree. They give you a cross. They give you wine. They give you something that's been stolen. They give you something that is against the religion. They give you something like, you can't take that. They want to give you pork. They want to give you something that you can't eat. And those things you don't take. So if one of you were to receive, for an example, at your job, there's a Christmas party. But they're not celebrating Christmas. They're not celebrating Christmas. They just want the workers to come. But they're not celebrating because they themselves don't even know what they're doing. It's just we're taking off and we're going to have a party. You don't have to leave if you don't want, as long as they're not celebrating and force you to celebrate. You're not into that. So you could, you could participate. But again, if they're making shit with Allah and they're doing those things like that, Allah Ta'ala made that prohibited. فَلَا تَقْعُدُوا مَعَهُمْ حَتَّى يَخُودُوا فِي حَدِيثٍ غَيْرِهِ إِنَّكُمْ إِذَنْ مِنْهُمْ If you see the ayat of Allah being disbelieved in and jokes being made concerning those ayat, then don't sit with the people who are doing that. If you sit with them while they're doing that, then you will like them. You got to get up and you have to get in the wind and you have to leave. So yes, especially you revert brothers and sisters don't be hardcore and rough with your relatives. Don't be like that. This is Christmas. They give your kids gifts. They brought your children that thing and that thing, and it doesn't go against the religion. How in the world are you going to say to your mother and your father, you're kuffar, we're not taking that? What prevented you from taking it? The companions. You're better than those companions. Where's the ayah? Where's the hadith? That you understand that the companions didn't understand it that way. Or they understood it the way you understood it. Your mother, your father. You know how these holidays are for our relatives. It's important to them. He's a Sikh, Hindu, Diwali, all this stuff. They give you a gift. It doesn't go against your religion, doesn't compromise your religion. Take the gift. Take the gift. They give you a nice dress, nice shoes, nice pants. Your father gives you an Audi. Now Muslim gives you an Audi. And you say, ah, I don't want that Audi. Why not? Why not? And if anyone has something other than that, you don't have to accept and believe what I say, because maybe someone hears this and say, oh, he's really minimizing, you know, the danger of a shirk. You want to read those ayats of a shirk or something like that. You could do that. We want to listen to that. We want to listen to that. Because there is a hadith that the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Nuhina an Zubad al Mushrikeen, we have been prohibited from taking gifts of the Mushrikeen. But the meaning of this hadith is we've been prohibited from taking the gift of the Mushrikeen that is like a bribe. They give you a gift to turn the other eye. A non Muslim gives you a gift to compromise your religion. He gives you a gift to open up the door for them to come through the back door to do something against the Muslims. That's the Zubat al-Mushrikeen. That's the meaning of this hadith. It doesn't mean every gift. Or why would the Prophet take the gifts from them? He took gifts from them. The gift that we can't take from them is the gift that compromises your Islam, puts you down, makes ihana and vul, makes you disrespected. Other than that, it's a problem. They want to give you uh, for the Christmas holiday they want to give you a, a, a monetary money. Here's your Christmas gift. 200 pounds, 100 pounds. Nah, nah, you keep that. No, you take that money. Take that money. 
They're not telling you, worship this, worship that, do this, do that. They're just giving you a gift because it's the time that they're happy. And Allah knows best. Any more questions, Ikhwani? Okay, we're going to stop here, inshallah. We're all dead. Take advantage of your life. Dead men. All of us. Dead men. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.